Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor in chief of Modern Retail. This week, I'm joined with Ricky Joshi, who's the co founder and chief strategy officer of Satva, a mattress company, a company that I've I've seen advertisements for, I've seen in the streets, or like I've seen their stores. I'm excited to go into just the overall mattress industry because I find that pretty fascinating. And also, Satva talks about being a luxury brand. And so I want to know what it means to be sort of a luxury, you know, sleep company in this modern age that we're all in. But Ricky, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. Absolutely. So first, what's the Satva story? How did it all start? So, you know, really started back in 2010. Um, we kind of, you know, realized that there was an opportunity in the mattress category to really do something different. Um, really kind of before DTC was a thing, um, this predates pretty much, you know, the, the whole concept. Uh, but we really, you know, identified, we looked at kind of what was out there in terms of product, in terms of the margin structure um, of the existing retailers, looking at the way they presented themselves online, um, looking at the way they did customer service. And we just saw an opportunity to do something better um, and, and improve the, the the whole the mattress industry um, in a very meaningful way. Um, the company has sort of grown from inception. Uh, but I think one thing also very different about us uh, versus a lot of other DTC companies is we're not you know drop ship. So we actually um, created a, a national infrastructure um, producing out of 18 factories and 160 distribution centers. Um, managed all by internally run software. Um, so we're able to actually deliver our mattress in home um, and remove the product as well, um, which has been a big differentiator for our business as the mattress online category has sort of blossomed. Um, but that has also allowed us to uh, really not be limited in terms of the product we're bringing to market. So, um, and I can get into that later, but um, we, uh, because of that delivery, you know, system that we've built, um, we really feel that we're able to, um, have the highest quality product, um, in the category. So was that always part of the initial proposition, the idea that you would build your own backend infrastructure, or was that something you came to when you were like, this will be a good competitive advantage? You know, really, we, we, I, I don't know if we actually thought that far out, to be honest. I think, um, Really, we just didn't think the compressed product was um, going to allow us to sort of flourish uh, as a company with product in various categories. So we sort of um, felt that having that delivery infrastructure was really critical to bringing the type of product uh, that we wanted to, to get to market. What was your background before? Are you a, a betting or mattress industry veteran that you wanted to iterate on it or sort of how did you come to wanting to do a mattress? So, you know, it's interesting. I think we have probably one of the, the most multi-generational founding teams uh, probably on the internet. Um, there's a, an over 40 year gap between our youngest founder um, and our oldest founder. Wow. Um, and so uh, really Ron Rudson, who's my co-founder, um, he had, he started a, a company called Jennifer Furniture, had a pretty big furniture background. Uh, my background is all internet, so worked in the ad agency world, um, started my own agency, um, dabbled a lot in internet marketing, was doing it for other co- clients and businesses, and really kind of was looking for an opportunity to strike out and, and, and build a product. Uh, met Ron and um, kind of a mad match made in heaven, along with Chris um, Brower, who is another co-founder who was working with me for some time. Um, we kind of just assembled a team to take over, you know, various parts of, of, of growing this company, uh, with my role really being, um, on the marketing and e-commerce side. Wow. And so talk to me about in 2010, when you mentioned earlier, there weren't really, weren't 
DTC companies, or they that was not something that was in the popular nomenclature then. What was your initial growth strategy? Was it essentially, we're going to sell this only online, we're going to bring it directly to your door, it's going to be a unique experience that most other people haven't experienced because before you'd have to go to a mattress firm or something like that. Sort of how did you build out that that initial growth strategy? Yeah, so I mean, from a branding perspective, I think out of the gate, um, you know, exceptional customer service was just a huge part of this. I think that's one thing that's sort of, you know, still not great with the, the established players where, you know, someone will go in and they'll buy a Serta product or um, a Simmons product or whatever at a mattress firm. Um, and when they have an issue with the product, you know, it, it, it's kind of like the torch kept, you know, being passed along. Um, so we wanted to be able to deal with our customer directly, uh, be available 24 seven, um, not have long, you know, wait times on the phone, really bend over backwards for the customer. Um, in terms of the product, because we were really eliminating a lot of the inefficiencies in the, in the category, uh, really providing accessible luxury was the dream. So not really just a value product, but a value product that still, uh, exceeded or matched, um, everything that the kind of the traditional players were doing. Um, so, you know, out of the gate, um, you know, the product has always had an organic cotton cover. Um, it's always used, uh, we've had, we used dual coil on our inner spring, which is more durable. Um, it's more expensive for us to produce it that way, but it creates a better bed. Um, you know, using organic and recycled foams whenever possible, things like that, a natural thistle, uh, flame retardant. We just thought at every turn, how can we improve the state of the art? Um, and still bring bring that to to market at a price point that you know a a, a, a large chunk of the market can afford. Um, so that was all accessible luxury was sort of the idea from day one with amazing customer service added um, and again amazing product. Um, so that yeah that was the initial plan and and from a branding perspective uh, being approachable. Um, being simpler, really getting into the details of the product. Um, you know, at the state of the art back then, if you instill to this day in many ways, if you go on to um, more of an aggregator type site, like, you know, the, one of the big players, um, they really don't get into the, the, the nitty gritty of the product and what really makes the product special. And that was a huge part of what we wanted to do from the beginning. Got it. And what were your major initial customer acquisition drivers? You know, social media was much cheaper then. Was that how you're finding people? Or when you're doing a, a product with a higher price point, I imagine it's different lever, levers you're pulling. Yeah. You know, I think I think that's one big difference between us and, and most DTC companies out there is, you know, we were really driven by Google ads, um, Bing ads. Um, so we were doing, you know, a lot of direct response type marketing. Um, a little bit of social, but a lot less dependent on social. Um, and back then, believe it or not, the keywords, for example, in our category were about a quarter of what they are now in terms of overall price. So, um, but, you know, being an early player, um, enable, being able to grab, you know, keywords when they were a lot cheaper than they are now, uh, turned out to be kind of a strong fuel for us in the beginning. Um, but we were also doing a bunch of other things too, like podcasts. We were early on in some podcasts. We, you know, have had a print campaign to the New York Times for years, um, things like that. But, but really the driver was, was direct response marketing, mostly search engine marketing. Wow. And so talk to me about like how the last, like, how have you approached growth over the last decade since you've launched? Has it been, I feel like a lot of DTC companies sort of just, raise a lot of money, try to grow as big as possible, and then, then go from there. Uh, well, what, what has your overall sort of 
growth and sustainability strategy been and ha- how has that evolved specifically in the last two years? So I think what's interesting is we, we actually never raised venture capital. So this is a business that was funded until our private equity round um, in 2018 um, directly from cash flow and profit. Um, so we didn't go out there and do a lot of press. We didn't raise a ton of money. Um, we really went out there and, and, and just tried to organically build the best business possible, being really disciplined um, in terms of uh, how we managed our spend, being really ROI focused, uh, making sure just we, we weren't throwing marketing dollars kind of all over the place, um, and really, really having a very tactical approach to marketing, even in terms of which markets we'd go after, right? We, we weren't actually even targeting the entire country. We were targeting mm-hmm. specific places where we thought we would do well. Um, so I think it was a very disciplined, very organic approach. Um, and I think that as a result, you know, the company, you know, it's been basically profitable from day one, uh, which wow. is very unique, uh, I think in, 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 in this, <laughs> in the DTC realm. Um, so, you know, we have a very, you know, nice EBITDA. Um, but we think part of that, the reason is, um, even though our gross margins are probably similar, um, we're just, you know, really, really disciplined as a company. Um, I think one thing that's changed over the last few years as we've developed is we've really expanded our product portfolio. Um, again, that delivery mechanism has allowed us to get into additional categories like physical beds, um, things like sofa beds, which are around the corner, um, and all sorts of ancillary categories as well. So we've expanded the product. Um, we've done a lot of brand work, um, and, and, and trying to, we know we've tried to raise overall awareness of who we are. Um, we have a big initiative in terms of, you know, actually increasing our footprint through, through, uh, physical retail, um, through our viewing rooms. So, uh, right now we have one in New York, um, but we're launching starting in the next few months, almost one a month. Um, oh, wow. so we will be, ha- so, um, by the end of the year, uh, we will have, uh, San Francisco and DC, um, pretty soon after Boston, LA, um, Chicago, um, and then a number of other markets are, you know, heavily in the works right now and really trying to get flagship locations, um, in places where we're very visible. Uh, I want to go into that in a second, but I also want to know, given this very, I guess, thoughtful approach to growth where, you know, profitability and sustainability was always in the back of your mind. How did that go with, with when you would open up new warehouses? Like how long did it take until you realized, yes, we need to have a new space there or we need to go into this new market? Like, I I just, I I find that really fascinating. And given that you own so much of, of the entire, you know, supply chain, it strikes me that that is, that it's a much more methodical decision about when you are going to open up a new expensive facility. Am I wrong? So, you know, when we, when we, uh, basically every market that we went after, um, or, or would, would launch a distribution center or a factory, we'd, we'd test and see, you know, how our performance was in, in that local area. Um, and if we started to see strong performance, um, you know, we would obviously go and we look at things like conversion rates, um, you know, our return on ad spend, things like that. Um, and, uh, through that, through that process, basically in the early days, we're able to kind of figure out quickly how to kind of navigate where we wanted to be at this point though. However, we're, uh, you know, pretty much, um, I think I'm within a hundred miles of 90% or so of the United States, um, wow. population. So at this point we have a very, very large footprint. You mentioned the showroom in New York and that you're opening one up per month over the next, you know, little bit. When did you first open the New York location? How have you viewed it overall? I, I feel like a lot of different DTC companies view them in different ways. Some of them are just about sort of 
branding and getting the name out. Others are about being profitable and being their own sort of sales engine. What was what was your initial intent when you first opened it, and how has it how has it gone over the last however long? So you know we're looking at two 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 primary KPIs. Um, and performance indicators, you know, number one is how many, how many actual conversions are happening directly in the viewing room itself. So, um, you know, what percentage of people are walking in there? What's the conversion rate and how much business is that, is that individual, um, store concept doing? Um, and then we look at the overall market itself. New York being a little more difficult, um, with, you know, it being such a large market. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's much easier to see the dent on a, on a Portland or an Austin versus a New York, mm-hmm. uh, given population, et cetera. Um, however, um, the viewing room in New York has significantly exceeded our expectations in terms of, uh, our overall return on square footage, um, and sales per square foot. Um, you know, we're one of the highest performing retail stores in the country. Uh, we have a 33, you know, hundred square foot facility, uh, doing North of $8 million a year in revenue. Um, so we, uh, have seen, you know, tremendous success there and are looking forward to scaling it out. Uh, to the word to the rest of the country. I think one thing is also interesting is different stores will have sort of different KPIs. Um, mm-hmm. Some stores will be, uh, you know, and, and again, we're, we're very tactical in terms of our marketing. So some stores uh, will look more for direct sales volume and others will look more for a particular lift. So every store is kind of its own, its own sort of KPI and goal. How are, well, A, when did the New York store open, by the way? The New York store opened um, in, November of 2019. Oh, so right before the pandemic. <laughs> that must have been an interesting time to sort of watch things. But so I want to, we'll get, we'll get back to that, but I want to ask, um, you said different cities will have different KPIs, some about brand lift, others about direct sales. How are you going to figure out which is which? That's our special sauce. That's why we have a bunch of data <laughs> scientists, you know, guys like me who it's in strategy who are looking at all these things. Some stores are going to require, uh, they're going to have to carry more weight than others. Uh, yeah. So, for example, I'll just give you a little perspective. So, you know, a city like Portland, um, the store, if we want to do, say, for example, $3 million in revenue in that store, that'll obviously be a much larger share of the overall Port- Portland market than are even at even at nine million in New York, mm. it's still a much smaller share. Um, so direct volume is going to be pretty critical in Portland as a strong KPI. Just as an example, got it. That makes a lot of sense. And so, what is what is the overall playbook to make these stores so high performing? How did you get New York to work so well so that you were getting such great direct sales volume? Is there a, a certain a certain set of steps that you've taken that other retail locations don't usually take? Yeah. So I think the, the what we really do is, you know, we, we drive a lot of our web traffic into the individual store. Um, so I think that that's, you know, a really critical part of what we do. Um, and we also just, in terms of the way that we situated the store, we like being around our competition because we think that our product actually stands out versus the competition. Um, so we're in, in a pretty dense area with a lot of other sort of mattress, um, brands are actually next to one of the largest perf- performing mattress firms in the country. Um, and we find, you know, we welcome that competition. We welcome being co-located near Casper, near purple, near any of our competitors, um, so, you know, we think our product stands as its own that plus, um, you know, having uh, direct, direct drive, you know, driving customers directly from the website, um, you know, we feel, um, has, you know, lent it to its success. Do you think driving people, is that an attribute of being a higher price point and more luxury product that you, you people 
are more likely to drop over $1,000 if they go directly to a store as opposed to doing it online? Was that sort of the rationale behind why you were putting web traffic there? That's part of the reason I think we'll have a lot of success and traction. Um, it's, you know, at the end of the day, if you're more of an, you know, you're trying to sell something that's more of an impulse buy, um, you know, you want that customer to convert immediately right on the web. But when someone's buying something that's, you know, north of $1,000, north of $2,000, um, giving them the opportunity to actually go and check out the product, uh, we feel is critical. The other thing is, you know, in our category, still, you know, north of 75% of the sales are in store. Um, you know, maybe in the pandemic, it shifted around that number, but, and obviously that's grown a lot over time. However, there, there's a significant percentage of the population that you're spending money advertising to, you know, you're trying to bring them in your funnel. And frankly, they absolutely want to sit on the mattress and feel the mattress. And we're really catering to those customers. We're now going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And so can you talk to me about with this expansion in other cities, are you trying to open those locations next to other mattress retailers like you did in New York? How are you thinking about those openings and also the overall, is there a special layout you have for these stores? Like I'm always just so interested specifically with something like mattresses where, I don't know, I've been to a mattress firm and I've, I found the overall in-store experience dreadful to be completely honest, just like they have you lay down. I don't know. I find in-store experiences so interesting specifically for these types of, of, uh, Products. So how, how do you go about designing your in-store experience and how are you thinking about the actual physical layout in these new cities? So I think one thing that's really interesting about our company in general is we try to have one or maybe two products per category. Um, so unlike, you know, a traditional mattress store where you're walking around and there's basically 10 versions of the same thing um, at various price points with not that much differentiation, we really tried to build a best of breed product. So in our memory foam category, we have Lumen Leaf and that's, that's the product. Um, we're launching a, a lower priced entrant, but really it's a pretty simple choice. Um, in Innerspring, we you know we have one core Innerspring product with different firmnesses, but all at the same price point. So out of the gate, you know, it's a very simplified experience. Um, and it's really choosing what product category you want to be in, not which individual product, um, within, you know, a broader category. So I think that's a, a, a pretty big distinction. Um, we make our, our, our retail expo- uh, you know, experience um, as opposite as we can from the traditional players. So they're immersive experiences, they're beautiful experiences, they're, they're, they're luxurious, they're, they're well-designed. I think if you actually, you know, if you walk into one of our stores, you'll see, um, you know, they're just, uh, they're comfortable, they're beautiful. Um, so really emulating kind of the best of breed players like restoration hardware, um, and, and really continuing on that notion of, of accessible luxury is, is a big part of what we're doing. So, you know, when, when you're walking into a traditional retailer, um, a traditional mattress store, and it's a bunch of bo- white boxes in a room, and then you come to, you know, our, our store and uh, our viewing room, and you see, you know, it's just a very different layout, a very a beautiful layout, um, you know, really kind of stress-free shopping, things like that. So those are all differentiators for us. Got it. And so I feel like I've read this before, and so correct me if I'm wrong, but especially in the New York store, you do have a lot of sort of in-store tech that you use for the stores and for for like sort of data collection. Can you talk a little bit about how you've approached that, how that's worked? Sure, sure. So I think, you know, that's been a big part of the store experience and having individual searchability and, and, and researchability next to every single product so the customer can go through the store just like on our website and not just sit on the bed, but really get um, an immersive experience with lots and lots of information. Um, I think that's a core part of what we do. 
um, throughout the entire experience, um, you know, we have signage and, and, and really kind of just to accentuate the brand. So there's just a lot of visuals in the store that I think are very exciting and sort of just make it comfortable and kind of seem a little more like, a again, an experience as opposed to just, um, walking in and, and something that's very transactional. Um, we do look a lot at our data. You know, we know how many people are entering the store, how many people are leaving the store, uh, which helps us with conversion rates, um, looking at overall sales. Um, things like that. So we're, do, we're doing all of those things. Let's talk a little bit about product expansion because you mentioned that earlier. How many, like, wh- A, when did you start expanding products beyond just the mattress? So, so we started to expand. So we actually were just on our first mattress, our inner spring actually carried us. Um, so we were really just one mattress with, you know, multiple versions and firmnesses of that mattress um, or multiple firmnesses um, for the first think uh, four years of, of the company. Um, and then we started to really expand the mattress line, um, launching maybe one new mattress a year. Um, and now we're in five or six core mattress categories. Um, we really started to expand to answer items um, about two and a half, three years ago. And what made you, A, what are the ancillary items that you've launched? What made you realize that? And sort of what is, has that been accelerated over the last year specifically because like luxury home furnishings have become such a a popular place to be right now? Uh, You know, I think to be honest, it was part of the mission from day one. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think that any sort of macro trend shifted our, our plan there. Um, Really um, the notion was let's, let's build an awesome mattress company and let's grow it from there and really become sort of more of a sleep brand, a bedroom brand, a luxury bedroom brand. Um, So we've launched pillows, duvets, comforters, sheets, um, pretty much everything that you need to sort of put together the full bed package. Um, we've launched frames um, to, you know, and, and a number of frames at this point um, on our, uh, and for future growth, you know, getting into related categories um, such as, you know, bedroom ottomans, sofa beds, things like that. Um, so we continue to kind of expand um, our product mix um, and really feel that, you know, and, and, and adding new product and adding more product has been amazing um, in terms of brand retention. Um, it's been great in terms of um, raising our overall lifetime value from our customer as well as um, the longevity of that relationship with our customer. Um, so all these things I think have been, you know, very you know, helpful and um, have obviously been um, helpful in terms of our overall growth. How do you go about deciding where the exp- the product expansion is going to go, specifically for a more expensive item? So you're go- you're going into sofa beds, for example. That that's a, a higher priced item. I imagine on the manufacturing end, those are you know more difficult to you know build out to manufacture and then and then send out. So what makes you finally pull the trigger and say yes, this is what we're going to do? You know, I think we're, we've always been a very experimental company. Um, and, you know, yeah, there is a lot of R&D involved with the product. We obviously do a lot of research before we get into any new category. Um, but we always, you know, we, we, we sort of get our feet wet a little bit. Um, you know, when we launched with bed frames, we launched with, you know, a handful of bed frames. Uh, now we're, you know, north of 10. Um, you know, we, 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 with a sheet, you know, we initially had one sheet set. Um, now we have four different types of sheets, um, you know, sateen, percale, linen, etc. Um, with pillows, we started off with one pillow, which was, um, just our latex pillow, but now we have memory foam down alternative. So we kind of just get into a category, see how that does. And then, you know, if we see traction, we kind of just grow it out. 
Got it. So let's talk about just the last year in general. How has like how have sales grown the last year? Have especially since you have your New York store, which has been so successful, but it's also been during a time when a lot of people have been foregoing going to stores. So what what were the overall sort of sales trends you've seen during the pandemic, and wh- how do you see that stabilizing over the next you know months and year to come? So I think one thing that was interesting is, um, you know, in March of 2020, um, you know, we felt <laughs> like a lot of other companies that, you know, the world might be falling apart. Um, just, you know, numbers were down. But then by May, um, we had um, our best men- month in history up to that point. Uh, within two months, I think we were very well equipped to take advantage of the shift towards online and DTC. Again, we've been very, very um, tactical with our marketing and, and we've been, a, you know, performance marketers from day one. Um, and so as a result, um, the business grew, um, north of 50% in 2020, um, and still is growing, um, substantially. Um, you know, we, um, just came out for our best month again in history, um, and are continuing. So revenues have almost doubled, um, in the last two years. Um, and, uh, we continue to see that growth. I mean, I think one thing that's happened is even with the pandemic and even with people sort of going back to store, maybe more than they used to, um, there's still a a substantial percentage of consumers who have gotten very comfortable purchasing online. Um, and I think we've been, you know, very well equipped to, um, serve customers and, 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 and that broader shift, I think is something that's, that seems to be sticking, um, and our category seems to be doing, you know, very well and it continues to do well. Um, there's been a shift towards single family homes, um, over the last couple of years. So, um, you know, as more, more people are moving to different cities around the country, moving to the suburbs, wherever they're going, buying larger homes, um, and they, maybe they bought from us once, um, you know, it, I think we're, we're again, well equipped to sort of, uh, take advantage of, of that shift. Um, and also, I think, you know, we've done a really fantastic job um, in terms of the product. So uh, when, you know, a customer who's already bought from us, um, you know, they, they do move to a, a larger home. You know, oftentimes they'll, they'll outfit their entire house with a Sapa. And as a result, we've actually never had a higher percentage of uh, multiple bed purchasers and repeat bed purchasers um, as we have in the last two years. We're almost running out of time, but I wanted to ask just sort of about the current digital marketing landscape, because it seems like you've sort of, you've been, you're an early player for, you know, as an online only brand, now things are changing and it's especially a whole bizarre world now. And so what are the, you know, what are the digital marketing levers that you're finding are still consistently working? What are you looking towards? Is it still search? As you said before, are you doing anything else that, that you're finding is working better? Just uh, any, any observations along those lines? I mean, I think, I think the one thing is again, you know, we're, we're very tactical. Um, and so, you know, certain products sell better using social, certain products sell better using search, certain products sell. You know, so, so, so when, it, so we really look at channel on a product basis, um, and I think that that's really important for us. Um, so we don't have a one strategy that just encompasses the overall company. Um, we're also doing a lot more, um, and testing a lot more in terms of overall brand awareness marketing. Um, but doing it in places where we can see real ROI. Um, so testing a lot of, um, YouTube, um, and online video, um, 
you know, getting, doing, doing different things with social. So, um, for example, shifting a little away from Facebook and doing more Instagram, um, things like that for, on a, on a brand awareness from a brand for, for brand awareness. Um, we, you know, we obviously continue to invest in things like remarketing on, on social. Um, but we, you know, we have a, a, a pretty tactical strategy again. So, you know, we, 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 we like to be, we have to slice everything and take and, and kind of use every single marketing platform for its best ability. Um, and not just have kind of a one, one sort of strategy for our, for our goals. Makes sense. And then lastly, so where are you setting your, your sights on right now? It seems that store openings nationwide are a big, uh, emphasis, but like what is sort of the big growth goal and, and thing that you're, you're focusing on for the next, you know, six months, 12 months out. Uh, so store openings are huge. Um, I mean, and, and, and the way that we're looking at store openings is wherever we put a store is really an opportunity to grow that market. So, you know, again, just the direct sales, but also just really increasing spend in that market, driving more traffic, um, you know, to both to the store, but to the website in, 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 in areas where we have the stores. So stores are just a, a huge anchor point for our growth strategy. Um, Again, increasing and, 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 and continuing to expand product, um, is, is, is huge. So, um, you know, I think, uh, between the stores, expanding product, doing more brand awareness, and then continuing to do the performance marketing that we're doing to take advantage of the, uh, growth in the home furnishing sector and particularly maybe the luxury part of the home furnishing sector. Um, I think all those things, uh, sort of commingle. And, uh, yeah, that's, those are kind of foundational elements of our, of our strategy. Great. Well, Ricky, this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.